Carlsbad. People, purpose, and impact. An essential podcast for those who live, work, visit, and play in Carlsbad. Good afternoon and welcome everyone. My name is Brett Schonsenbach. I'm the president and CEO of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, and I am your host today. And I'm very pleased to have with me Denise Mueller. Denise is the CEO of the Rancho Santa Fe Security Company here in our area. Good afternoon, Denise. Good afternoon. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Thank you. So let's start with some business stuff first, because we're going to get into some fun personal stuff here in a minute, because you've got all kinds of interesting accomplishments. But um, Rancho Santa Fe Security, third generation family business. Is that right? Yes, I am second generation. And my oldest and my youngest sons are in the business with my oldest being the general manager. That's great. I mean, these days, you don't see that as often anymore, like a business is staying in a family that many generations. So that's great. So how did you get started in it? What was your first role in the Rancho Santa Fe? Oh, that's always fun. So my parents started the business in 1978. I was four years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my first job was emptying the trash cans nice. from the desks that were in the garage of our house down in Mira Mesa. Ah, nice. <laughs> and um, ended up you know, uh, moving the business up into the Encinitas and Rancho Santa Fe area and only one year after it started. So, Oh, wow. That's great. And, and, uh, you've been part of it ever since you were four years old, it sounds like. Yep. Nice. Probably did a variety of different jobs. Of course, you're really well known for stuff you did outside of Rancho Santa Fe security. <laughs> <laughs> if the website I was reading is correct, 15-time national champions, all right? Yep. On the bike. I should probably preface that. On the bicycle. And then, of course, um, the really crazy stuff, which we're going to get into here in a little bit. World record holder, 183.9 miles per hour on the paced bicycle ride. Did I say it all right? A paced bicycle speed record, yes. So I was on a bicycle paced behind a vehicle. Yeah, I've seen the video. You're in, you're insane. <laughs> but let's back up a little bit. And uh, how'd you get into cycling in the first place? Ironically, my dad, okay. um, who is the founder of the business. So my parents started the business, like I said, in 78. And that's all I've ever been around. Mm-hmm. But my dad was very athletic. And he used to jog. And then he ended up with some knee issues. So he got on a bicycle. Well, at that time, he got me. Actually, my grandfather bought us both mountain bikes. And... One of the days at junior high, just down the street mm. um, at Degeno, they had the announcement saying that there was a Bike for Breath for the Children's Asthma League happening down in uh, Mission Bay about a month later. And they had the 25, the 50, the 75, and 100 mile, or actually 96.5, because one of the radio stations sponsored it. So they nice. had four different distances. Nice. So I'm thinking, you know, hey, we can use those bikes and we can do like the 25 miler. Yeah. So when I brought it home to my dad, he looked at it and went, oh, no, we're doing the 96.5 miler. Wow. <laughs> I went, what? <laughs> wow. So we started training, and that's how I got onto the bicycle. And then as I dreaded the training because it was very by myself with my dad mm. and, and I just didn't see the beauty in it Sure. until I did the event and it was the most enjoyable social event. Mm. It was obviously a fundraiser. I ended up being the top fundraiser on top. So nice. I won a bicycle nice. and, um, and so I was hooked and my dad saw I was hooked. And mm. so he went and found every weekend charity ride that there was because he knew that's the joy I found in it. Yeah. And so we went all over and then we ended up doing a San Francisco to San Diego two-week-long wow. American Youth Hostel bicycle ride. 
And it was on the last day of that ride, I ended up meeting my coach, John Howard. (laughs) And as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. So San Francisco to San Diego. Is that what you said? San Francisco? Wow. Two weeks? Two weeks, 620 miles. 620 miles. Well, that's quite an indoctrination um, into cycling. And so, all right, you met your coach then. And so he got you. Tell us the next phase. Yep. So I am 14 years old on that San Francisco, San Diego bike ride. (laughs) Um, And when he met me, he sort of blew by me just above Camp Pendleton. It was the last day of the of that ride, and I I knew enough about drafting. The irony is, to, <laughs> to when we do full circle on this story, yes. my speed record is a drafting yes. record. And how I met John Howard was he went by and went, ooh, free ride. Yeah. And I got on his wheel. I was on his wheel for about eight miles, and he remembers looking back, and as he describes it, who is this little girl right, on my wheel? Right, this 14-year-old. Yeah, and, and so we got talking. He says, I need to talk to your dad. And, and within a week, he talked to my dad and said, you need to get her into bike racing. Within wow. a month, I did my first bicycle race, which is now known as Liberty Station. Yeah. It was uh, it was Naval Training Center, NTC, back then. And I won my first bicycle wow. race. And so you could imagine, you know, you, yeah. you get told by someone who, once I learned all of his heritage and, and legacy of of cycling records from John right. Howard for him to go, you got to get her into racing. And then I win. Oh man, it was all over from there. Yeah. I was, I was hooked. Yeah, for sure. Cycle races, obviously there's everything from indoors, you know, on these tracks to the Tour de France, which is going up insane mountains and scapes. So when you first started, give us a little glimpse, like what, what was the venue? How, how yeah. was it shaping up? I did everything and you could as a, as a young kid, because there weren't, wasn't a whole lot. It was, it was 1988 was my very first national championship. And it was out in Pennsylvania. And I did it on what they call the velodrome or track. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was an outdoor facility, but it doesn't matter. Indoor, outdoor, but it's a oval-shaped track. Yeah. Usually anything from 250 to 333 meters and round. Single gear bikes, no brakes, mm. no, you know, things of that nature. So I, I won on that. I won in an event they called the time trial, which is, you know, that you start with the clock. It's a flat out. You turn around, come back. Fastest person Just with speed. a clock yeah. gets it. Um, and then they have road races mm-hmm. where you have a pack of people and they go in the hills and you go yeah. up and down hills. And then you end up sprinting usually to the finish if you're not ahead of everyone. I won that one. Wow. And um, I don't think they had criterium, which is my favorite as I came back as an adult race on the road, which is usually a one mile block one mile industrial area. In fact, we used to train right outside of this office nice. <laughs> when I was, they had a Tuesday night sort of unofficial race. Nice. Um, but you usually have a big industrial park area. It's yeah. usually one mile and you do multiple laps. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's my favorite, but I also have national championships on there. So uh, as a junior, I got 13 national championships. Wow. I did mountain biking. So I got mm. it on the downhill. I got it on the cross country. So I pretty wow. much did everything Every because format. I could. Yeah. Um, but as you become an adult, you have to start doing a little bit more specialization. And I am more of a sprinter than anything. So I'm what they call fast twitch. Gotcha. So I love speed, not going up hills. <laughs> yeah. And I remember you when you shared with our um, first Friday breakfast at the chamber, uh-huh. I remember you talking about that fast twitch, which we're going to get to here soon. So you started as a junior, junior circuit, and and then won a lot. And then you took a break for a while. Yep. I like to say I sort of 
decided to do the career and the family thing, yeah. which, you know, a lot of times that's sort of around that time. I graduated yeah. from San Diego, so right down the road. Mm-hmm. And um, I did some classes over at Maricosta. And my parents had gone through a divorce a couple years earlier. Okay. A partner had bought my mom's half out. And it wasn't going too well. Mm. My dad was more of the service out in the field person, and the partner had done a lot of the in, internal office business side of things. And when it was falling apart, I came in to help my dad out because sure. that's what I've been around, and I needed to support him to make sure everything yeah. went went okay. Um, I ended up staying. <laughs> nice. And um, when I graduated high school also, so 1991 was my last official year of racing, I sort of hung it up because I was going to end up being a senior, as they called it, or an adult racing versus junior racing, which is a whole different group. It's from 19 to 34. Right. Um, So you have a whole different level of competition. My original goals. And you're basically 18 at that point, 19. 18, 19. So you'd be the youngest in there. You know, my parents, the divorce, the partnership separation, not knowing where my life was going to take. I took the break and that break ended up being 23 years. Well, so I yeah. raised three children. I have yeah. uh, three boys, uh, 28, 27, and 22. Nice. And um, got to take over the business, mm-hmm. successfully helped with the partnership separation. And then it was just my dad's business. And then I took that over for him. And we should probably take a moment to share about that business because I know we at the Chamber are happy customers of Rancho Santa Fe Security. And you guys provide you know, security for our building that... I um, joyfully go and disarm every morning when I come in and rearm when I leave. And um, so we should give a little shout out to the business here because you guys do a great job before we go back into your amazing um, records and things on the bike. But and and Rancho Santa Fe Security is operating still today. So we got to give them that shout out. So we're going to come back and talk about where when you re-entered the world of biking after your hiatus and what that looked like in just a moment we've been talking with denise mueller from rancho santa fe security and we're going to take a quick pause so you stepped out for 23 years and then what brought you back Ironically, I had been keeping healthy by being in the gym from five in the morning till 630, come home, take the kids to school, which is what a lot of people do. It's how they find if you're going to have any form of of, uh, physical health, you've got to find time to do it. It was really only in the mornings. And so we were part of that little 5 a.m. crazy crew at the gym. We all got to know each other. And um, I actually watched three three ladies in the gym decide to do their first full marathon. It was Mm. the Rock and Roll San Diego. Sure. And so I, we all watched them train, and when the event came, we decided, oh, let's go down and actually support them. Know, support them. Yeah. And so we took mountain bikes down, nice. and there was a group of five of us from the 5 a.m. gym crew, cheered them on, and I was truly inspired to go, gosh, I could do I could do that because, you know, you, you, yeah. know, you hear the f- proverbial, do a marathon before you die. It's a mm. huge, you know, accomplishment. And, and so I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a marathon. And so I spent a year, you know, I signed up for it, which is put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. That's the only way I'm going to make sure it gets done. And so I trained for it. And in the process, my middle son was having some issues adjusting to high school. Sure. And so uh, my oldest son had uh, robotics he was involved in. My youngest was Pop Warners. They had 
things. My middle son just sort of didn't have anything. So I said, hey, you know, do you want to take surf lessons? No, I've done that before. Do you want to do this? Well, what about like what I'm doing is I have a huge goal and I'm working my way towards it and I'm going to run a marathon. He says, oh, okay, I'll do that. I'm like, oh my gosh, my son's 14 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I don't think, well, you know, so I kept asking, are you sure? That's a huge commitment, right. you know? And he said, no, and that's what I want to do. And so he started training with me. Of course, and, he is your son. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it has the we can do anything attitude. Yes. Um, and he trained with me and we did, the day before we did the rock and roll to accomplish that one year long goal. Yeah which created great opportunity for us to have that one-on-one time, which is what we needed. He said, you know what? I'd like to do all of the half marathons that Rock and Roll puts on next the next year. So mm. that would have been t- 2011 because it was 2010 that I did the first marathon. He mm. and I both accomplished our first marathon together. Awesome. And because uh, when you do a full, half is nothing. Right, right. <laughs> and so I said, sure. And that at that point, I reached out to my coach, John Howard, from when I was a junior because I could train my son to do one marathon. Yeah. It's one training schedule, but to periodization for him, mm. not for racing, but to not get injured. I mean, yeah, he's got yeah. growing you know, joints and yeah. I didn't want to have the responsibility because I didn't have the training to coach. Sure. And so I reached out to John Howard yeah. and it was so funny because I said, man, John, you know, my son's going to be 16 next year. I was 16. You were my coach. How mm. cool is this? Second generation. Yeah. So he didn't do that, but... The cool part about that was John went, well, have you been on your bike lately? Mm. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I still have the bike from 1991 when I quit hanging in the garage. And he went, well, they have this charity ride from San Francisco to San Diego, Mm. now with the Challenge Athlete Foundation and now in one week. Mm. Um, And he said, it's a great, you know, so at this point, I've always been looking for new goals. I've done a marathon. I've done this. I've done that. I started doing more and more things outside the gym. And I said, Okay, I'll do it. So my coach, if you think back now, was the one who got me into racing yeah. way back when, got me back on a bicycle 23 years later. Yeah. And then after we were training for this San Francisco, San Diego bike ride, he saw I still had what I never knew I still had, which was capability mm-hmm. and ability on the bicycle to do something spectacular. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, okay, well, I'm a parent business person like anybody yeah. else coming yeah. out of the office and get on a bicycle. And so since he had done a land speed record, he had broken the land speed record in 1985 at 152 miles an hour, mm. which had since been broken by somebody else at 100 and, uh, in 1995 at 168 miles an hour. Okay. So this record takes, you know, big yeah. chunks of time until till they're broken. But he had said, you know, you like racing cars because I race junker cars. They're called mm. lemons cars. I've done about 26 of those races. Wow. Um, I like drafting. Uh, I like going fast and, you know, he's, he's ticking all these things off. And I was like, I was walking to the precipice and I'm like, what's going, what are you trying to tell where, me, John? Where where's the, this, where's John? this going? <laughs> and he goes, well, you realize that there is no woman that has ever set the land speed record. And it was like matched to a gasoline. It's yeah. like, I was a puddle of gasoline, didn't know it. And he just lit the match. You're like, I'm and in. I'm in. It took <laughs> a half a second for me to say, I'm in. So, so you. And so tell us about the training for that, because obviously um, I, I've seen the video and it is pretty insane. But how do you train for that? Oh, yes. Well, um, I, I, obviously, there's a very, very common question. And a, a lot of times it's an answer that you don't expect because 
There's the physical training. Yeah. And that's part of the answer. It's only 50% of the answer. Sure. There was a ton of mental preparation. John Howard wanted to get me back into regular bicycle racing to reestablish who I was in the cycling community and mm-hmm. to also garner a little bit more respect for my capabilities. Okay. So he actually said, I want you to to race or I want you to win another national championship. And it was oh. like, oh, yeah, sure. That's really simple. Yeah. yeah. 23 now, years later, no yeah. problem. <laughs> But with that, um, I had had some race anxiety that I did deal with as a junior, mm. and i that's the one regret I had always had. I never regretted giving up cycling and to be able to run the business, to have my children and all these other elements that happened, because those wouldn't have occurred the yeah. same way. And I am very, very pleased and happy with the trajectory of my life. But I had some race anxieties that I sort of left when I left bike racing. Mm. I didn't deal with them. And so when my coach told me, I want you to win a national championship, I'm like, what? And my stomach went into knots Mm. because I didn't want to get back racing against people. Yeah. And so I had to overcome those issues. I did hypnotherapy, which which ironically is one of the tenants in the building um, that I was (laughs) that I have with our business. Um, I also worked with Interoptimal, which is right here in Encinitas, which does brain training. So it's neuropathic, Mm -hmm. you know, work. I also did visualization. Mm -hmm. Um, I also had, because I'm a a member of uh, Seroptimist, Mm -hmm. and uh, which is a charitable club. And one of the ladies in the club makes these CDs that you listen to right when you're sleeping. And it's affirmative messages, very specifically made for you. So Mm, I did that. So it was customized. I mean, I did so much mental preparation because there's so much that could go wrong and if you think negative yeah you know what you think about is what you're going to bring about type of thing you know so it's just like the old adage i always joke is don't think of a pink elephant don't think (laughs) what are you thinking about (laughs) you're thinking about a pink elephant so you want to think about the positive side of those and so mentally was a huge amount of training and preparation hours worth. And then, of course, you had your physical training, yeah. which I, it's sort of more boring to describe the physical training because it's pretty standard. It's for any fast twitch athlete. You get out there, you do some, you know, lots of work in the gym, you do uh, rides yeah. with groups that are very fast. And I would do motor pacing down at the velodrome in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So I'd get behind a motorcycle on a fixed bike, fixed mm-hmm. gear bicycle. So I get a lot of speed work, but nothing will emulate what happens out in yeah. Utah at the Bonneville Salt Flats. Yeah. So what what year is this now that you're starting the training at this point? Well, I got back on my bicycle for the first time in 2012. 2012, okay. And by and that was when the idea was generated within a few months. That's mm-hmm. when my that's when John Howard mentioned it. And so we wanted to do it in 2015. So we knew we'd get three years because it's a very expensive ordeal for getting the vehicle, mm-hmm. a custom bike, and things of that nature. Well, 2015, we had decided we weren't ready. At the beginning of the year, and thankfully, because the event that we would do this at occurs in September of every year out at Bonneville Salt Flats. Okay. It's one of two major events for cars and motorcycle. One is called Speed Week, which we would not be able to run there because they have very different rules. Okay. And they wouldn't allow us. And then there's another one called World of Speed. And so World of Speed is the element, is the event that we would uh, work under. That was your target. And it was rained out in 2015. Oh. And could you imagine training oh, and peaking your body 
and then to come to find out one week prior it's canceled and guess what it's now next year Uh, so i am so happy we called it at the beginning of the year for ourselves just from where we were at and it happened to rain so 2016 was our our first year because i did two two different times of going out to bonneville Right. So the first one, 2016, if I read this correctly, that's when you set the world's fastest female on a bike, land speed, record, pace, all those little yes. <laughs> qualifiers. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when you so, tell somebody I've ridden my bicycle 183.9 miles yeah. an hour, they, they usually need a little bit more information on how that's more, been accomplished. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So the one in 2016, how fast was that one? 147.7 okay, miles per hour. 147.7. And that was the fastest a female had gone in those conditions. So, mm-hmm. but then that wasn't enough. You weren't satisfied <laughs> then. So then you go after the overall record. Is that yes. Correct? It was the, um, the proverbial rains mm-hmm. hit again. The event that we do this at was a four day event. Um, And we were so wonderfully blessed that Hoenn sponsored us for that event. And we had a Range Rover uh, SVR. Oh, beautiful vehicle. That thing did 160 miles an hour off of the lot if you were to Mm. buy one. Wow. (laughs) And then they re-governed it at 175 for us. Tricked it out for you, yeah. We bought a fairing put on it. So we created the ideal conditions for me to draft it. But what's ironic is we would show up and people would look and go, well, I can see... I, first of all, maybe you could go that fast. How can that SUV go that fast? Uh, it was so funny because we almost had to prove both things could go that fast. It, it, didn't, it didn't look believable. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. So so we went out there during that event and there was a lot of learning because we never been behind that vehicle mm. going anything you know, one, it's not street yeah. legal. Yeah. We have no place we could get up to speed because I had to get up right. to at least 90 miles an hour tethered and pulled because it's a single gear bicycle. It's like yeah. having a car with only overdrive. You can't drive out of the parking lot. You have to at least get to a point to where you, yeah. you know overdrive will work. So same with my legs. My legs only, you know, I had to get to where I could finally turn the cranks, which was at 90 miles an hour for this the gearing we had. Wow. Um, so we had a lot of learning to do. Mm-hmm. And the 147.7 actually was the last run we did on day three after we'd had several failed runs to where I, I got out of the draft mm. prematurely. And we were just, you know, there was a lot of dynamics going on between yeah. the race car driver, Shay Holbrook, and myself. And sure. so we finally figured that out with communication with each other. And we did the 147.7 and we went, oh my gosh. And that was easy. We weren't even trying. Wow. So we had just like dancing. It's like just, you just got your rhythm and Oh yeah. And, it was beautiful. And then it rained the next day. Uh, <laughs> so that's where without even talking to Shay Holbrook, the race car driver, or John Howard, or any of the sponsors for that matter, we get to the the um the salt that day. We find out it's flooded, they canceled the last day, and we were like, Oh, oh we know we would have had at least 155. Yeah. You know, and so you knew there was more. Oh, so much more. And yeah. so without asking them, we're on Facebook Live and we're going, we're coming back next year. We're not only going to beat this record, we're going to beat the guy's record. And so it was like, oh my gosh, you know, the energy and enthusiasm came out in a, yeah. a Facebook Live and sort of put our money where our mouth is. Yeah. Now we got to do it. <laughs> in the heat of the moment, you're just yes. going with it. And at that point, the the guy's record or the overall, but the guy's record was 160. 168.9. 68.9. So you had about 20, 20 more uh, miles per hour to go to catch or match or, or beat that. Yeah. 2018 is when you came back. So it was two yeah. years later. 
Yes. Lots of things happened in 2017. One of which is we couldn't re-secure the same vehicle, mm. the Range Rover. We it, it, There was a lot of other complicated behind the scenes gotcha. situation because of the fact it came from out of the country and it couldn't mm. stay in the country for over a year and, and a lot oh, of other wow. issues. <laughs> and so uh, we were stuck having to find a new vehicle. Which was not anticipated because remember, we didn't ask our sponsors, hey, can we do this again? It was sort of like we accomplished the goal because we truly did. We went out there and got a women's record. So the goal technically was accomplished, but it wasn't, it was a new goal got created. Yeah. So we asked Fred Rompelberg, who is the men's record holder from 1995, and the holding record, he still held the record. So I'm going after Fred's record. Yeah. And so Fred is from Netherlands and his, his dragster vehicle that he had used has been sort of in mothballs in Utah Uh ever since. So you go to the current record holder to borrow his car. To break his record. To break his record. And he said yes. (laughs) And he did. He said yes. And I think that was a a wonderful thing for him. And so we, but it required a heck of a lot of work. (laughs) Mm. Interesting. And yeah, because the car I saw in the video looks more like a, a, dragster than an yeah. SUV of any type. So, yep. so you got a new vehicle that took a little while, of course, some training. When you get out there in 2018, I'm, I'm assuming you're kind of doing the same dance with your driver. I mean, you got a couple of days to get the feel of it. How many times did it take before you hit your <laughs> 183? Or did you break 168 and then keep going and got the 183? Or how did, how did all that play out? Yes. Uh, well, the well, the easy answer is there were only three runs in 2018. Oh, gosh. That's it. However, That's... Shay Holbrook came back. Mm-hmm. She's driving a whole different car. Mm-hmm. But the dynamics she had to work with about tethering me and pulling me so quickly up to speed, which if you do that wrong, yeah. you're going to rip the bike out from under me. Yeah. And oh. you you do it wrong and you go too slow and I'm going to fall over because I don't have enough forward force mm. and I can fall over and get drug. So there's so yeah. many things that could go wrong. So with her and I in 2016, we did 10 runs sort of on the salt unofficially right. to learn. Yeah. And then there were seven while we were during that four day event, which only occurred three days for us because yeah. the rained out. So we already had 17 runs, t- together. runs together. Yeah. And so we come into 2018. It's almost like we just picked up where we left off. Nice. And I'm glad we did because we had so many mechanical issues, tire issues and everything with the car. Oh. <laughs> it's a 1960-something car. Oh, the wheels goodness. on it were 1960 rubber. and uh, Oh, my goodness. We had flat tire right after our run. I mean, uh. yeah. So the first run we did, we only went 100 miles an hour because our GPS the speedometer that she had to sort of give her an idea of where she's at. So it wasn't the official one. Mm-hmm. Br- didn't work. Oh, no. So our very first run, we're going down, and you're going down a white. It's like being in the middle of the ocean. There is no trees going by or telephone uh, poles or anything to give you a, a sense of speed. Right. It is all white salt. No frame of reference. And so she's sitting here first run in two years. And so she thinks her speed is okay. She's trying to tell me with lights, because mm-hmm. that's the only communication we had was from her to me, with lights to tell me we're aborting. I thought she said, we're, you need a release. So I released at 100, which was about 10 miles an hour under the capability of my legs with mm. that gear. 
And oh, it was it was the hardest thing in the world to stay with her. But I did for five the five miles, and I got done. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so out of shape. This is horrible. Thinking that I yeah. released at the right right, <laughs> right speed, and it, I, I, it was so horrible, negative, mental. Yeah, you know, to uh, start with. Uh. Uh, but she said my speedometer didn't work. I don't even know. I was trying to tell you this is a bad run. <laughs> I'm uh, like, oh, I guess we need to figure out the abort <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> communication here. You get our signals so, down. That was the first one. The second one I did 155. Okay. And So you broke your own so record. So I broke my own. And I broke John a, Howard. So now I'm second in the world. Yep. Second fastest in the world. And it was the third one that we ended up doing the 183.9. And we actually hit 188 because that's the last full miles average was 183.9. Okay. So we peaked at 188 during that last mile. But she she is amazing at being able for her and I to be in sync with each other. Mm -hmm. Because, again, we have no verbal communication. Right. It would be too loud with the wind noise. So she can see me from two cameras in the little cockpit. She had Mm -hmm. two little video screens. And she had lights. And we had light number one was mile marker one because I don't know where we're at. Yeah. I can't see. My my field of vision goes down to almost, you know, three-inch round circle in front of me because you're in such a focus. Yeah. And so for me, I could see the lights to know mile one, two, three, four, five, we're done. Because mm-hmm. five is done. And so um, she... She took a risk because she read my body language and mm-hmm. she felt what was going on. We were not supposed to go over 175 miles an hour because wow. the safety r- rules for our vehicle were limited to the 175. So wow. we were told, do not go over 175. She, she pushed <laughs> she it. Pushed it. She, pushed she knew it. this was it. Yeah. And I'm glad. I, my, my husband at the time was very, very angry that she took that risk. Sure. But she knew what she was doing, yeah. and I totally honor the fact that she made the choice I would have wanted her to make. Sure. It was a calculated risk on her part yep. from knowing the variables of, of you and how you were responding in the car. Yeah. Wow. And again, you're glad now she took the shot because you weren't going to get another shot at it. Oh, yeah. You know? We were going to get reprimanded big yeah. time if we didn't do it that one. So that was 2018, and again for those. So for those who haven't seen the video, it's on YouTube. Yeah. What's the easiest way for them to search to find it? Because it is insane. Uh, they need to watch it. Um, Denise Mueller bicycle. You put that in there. Denise There's Mueller a bicycle. Ton of you know. Yep. Uh, Wall Street Gen- Journal did a 20 minute little documentary. Gotcha. Outside World. Um, I mean, there were so many different. Wired Magazine did mm-hmm. one, um, and you know, great big story. So there are lots of lots of lots ones of out there. Lots of places to find it. Yeah, great. Tell everybody who's listening who isn't as familiar with this story, it's five miles that you're really, you're really pedaling and you're untethered. Mm -hmm. But how many, I mean, most of us, for us to bicycle five miles would would take a a little while. How long (laughs) at 180 plus miles per hour are you actually, does it take to go five miles? About two and a half minutes. Oh, man. (laughs) And that's because you start at zero. Yeah. And I get to at least 110 at that one mile mark. Okay. And so I'm I'm released from my tether because remember one yeah. one speed one bicycle uh, gear that one I have. Gear. So I'm I'm released just before mile one and a quarter. 
And then I have to surf that pocket of air and yeah. stay in that pocket. So there's the true pedaling. And yeah. I am constantly pedaling. There's no freewheel. Like on a mm. normal bicycle, you stop pedaling and you can yeah, coast. You coast yeah. the, when the wheels are moving, the pedals are moving. So when you do watch the video, watch the speed of how quickly my pedals are going round and round. Because right. that gives you the idea of the faster and faster that I'm going. Because I go from about 67 revolutions per minute Mm-hmm. to the top of 120 revolutions mm. per minute wow. to keep up with the wheels. So those last four miles, once yeah. you've already hit speed, go very rapidly. Yes. And and what's interesting is when people ask, wow, how, how does it feel to go that fast? And it's hard to give a reference because it, it to me it would be like going out and it's you know negative 10 degrees outside I know mm-hmm. we don't deal with that here in Southern California Thankfully. at all but <laughs> you know it's like negative 10 degrees outside and then they go oh yeah but now tomorrow's negative 40 yeah can you feel the difference no you can't it's yeah. once you get to super cold there's no reference right. so when you go over 100 or something there's really no reference to you know 100 150 in a mm. sense and especially when I'm looking at a very, mm. it, my field of vision is getting more and more narrowed the more concentrating I'm doing. But for me, the reference of how fast that was was when somebody did the math and they yeah. went, you realize you went from one end of a football field to the other end of the football field in one second. Oh, and you did it 19 stunning. times in a row because it took me 19 seconds to do that last mile. So I did football end zone, end zone, over and over 19 times. Now, when you visualize being in a football stadium and watching one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, that's like, holy cow, <laughs> that's fast. And, and that's a great reference because everybody yeah. has, you know, a little bit of a sense of having watched someone you, you enjoy or a, a team you like play football. So you mm-hmm. have that, you know, that visual that is, that is truly stunning. Yeah. <laughs> Man, so 2018, you break the record, but you're still out there. You're still engaged in this, <laughs> um, and now it's kind of shifted. Tell us how, how things you're involved in now. Thank you. Actually, what's interesting is there's one little tidbit oh, yeah. between 2018 and okay. then 2019. Um, I Because uh, the more crazy things you do, the more you tend to attract people with crazy ideas. <laughs> I think that's how it works, because that is how everything's been coming right. together. Yeah. Oh, sh- it's sort of like that old life commercial, you know, oh, Mikey will eat it. Yeah, he'll, he'll eat anything. <laughs> oh, Denise, she'll, she'll try do anything. that. Yeah. It's crazy enough. She'll do that. She'll try it. So uh, I was approached in January of 2019, because again, I did the event in September of 2018. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of on that whole precipice, because it, it, it created such amazing publicity that I didn't even realize. I figured it was going to be just like 2016, a little blip on the map. It actually was so much more. And Mm. I think because of beating the men's record and the speed was just such a huge number. Um, So needless to say, I get contacted by a gentleman named Larry Lem, who is also a cyclist. And he does what you call human powered vehicle. And it's bicycling in on a recumbent bicycle, but you get completely covered with an aerodynamic shell. Okay. And the only way you see the road in front of you is two video cameras because you have mm. everything in duplication in case something goes wrong. But you're in a cl- enclosed pod watching the road through two video screens. Oh, golly. And the point is, how fast can you go under your own power using only aerodynamics? And so... 
he said, hey, you realize, now it's the reminiscent of John Howard talking about, you realize, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. So you realize the women's record for the human-powered vehicle hasn't been broken in many years, and I think you can do it. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> And you're like, hmm. hmm. Well, it also would justify, a lot of people would discount, not that it mattered to me, but they go, oh, yeah, well, you did that drafting. Right. You know, oh, how strong are you? Anybody can like, yes, it is very much of a daredevil element, and a physical element, sure. but a lot of people discounted yeah. the physical training that needed to go into it. So because I thought, you get pulled by a vehicle to right, start they're with. Like, oh and, yeah, I could do. Well, okay. Yeah. No, you actually. <laughs> so couldn't. I thought, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'll do this, and it's pure human power. Okay, I see. And aerodynamics, yeah. and so I did not beat the overall world record in 2019. It was beat by an 18 and a 28 year old and yeah. I'm in my forties. So yeah. <laughs> not that it totally mattered, but there was well, some elements the, of, yeah. yeah, they had a little bit more going for them. Uh, yeah. And they had their whole engineering from their schools, sure. helping them with this. They had a whole team. We had my, my ex-husband at the time that Larry and myself, there yeah. was a team of three and it was all, you know, no aerodynamic wind tunnel testing and what have you. Yeah. But I did go out there and I I did 70.6 miles an hour, flat road, five mile flat road, last 200 meters is your speed trap. And it was under my all my own power. So I did 70.6 miles an hour. I broke the women's U.S. record, nice. which I still hold that one. Nice. So 20, that was that was the first, you know, sort of other little crazy thing. And then at that point, it's like, you know what? And then yeah. the pandemic hits. And yeah. <laughs> the whole world goes to you know what. And, yeah. And so um, I was sort of, I, I do really well with having, you know, carrots, carrots dangled out in front, in front of me. Of, goals. Yeah, yep. And so I was approached and I think it was around December or January this December last year or January this year. Um, I had been out on the tandem with my coach's girlfriend. So we took the <laughs> kicked my coach off the tandem. I got on the front and, and his girlfriend on the back, which is unusual to see two women on the tandem. Okay. And we were out and I think this is how it happened because I don't know exactly otherwise. Somehow that got back to Amy Dixon. Um, that, hey, there's a woman in, that's here in the area. She's really strong and she has these records and she was driving a tandem, which mm. a lot of times I hate to be very sexist, but it, it, stereotypical, I guess, is more the way. Generally, it's the man's in the front of the right. tandem, the female's in the back. You'd, it's a rarity to see two women on a tandem. Sure. Um, and so I think that sort of raised enough, yeah. you know, uh, suspicions mm-hmm. and eyebrows of going, hey, Amy, you're looking for a pilot, aren't you? Yeah. You know, and, and Amy Dixon lives is a visually impaired athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just came back from Tokyo from the Paralympics on triathlon. Wow. Um, and so her guide who swims with her, runs with her and bikes with her is from Tennessee. And that will be her guide for triathlon. But she's she wanted to look at switching into track or velodrome Mm. and we have a beautiful velodrome right here down balboa park and then there's one up in carson in la at dominguez cal state dominguez um which is a world-class track and so amy reaches out to me and asks me if i would be interested in being her pilot on a track tandem um, and to have the goal of the 2024 Paris Paralympics on the velodrome, on the velodrome, okay. which is just over two years away. Yeah. Unbelievable. So that's what you're working on now. So that's the new goal. That's the new and goal. So you're the pilot. So it's a, it's a team thing. You're basically chugging and, uh, she's on, she's your partner. And then you're going to be competing against other teams like that. Yes. Gotcha. Yep. Wow. And and it's one of the interesting ones. A lot of Paralympic 
um, events. It's it's adaptive. You're competing with people with like physical issues. Mm-hmm. This is one of the few where you have an able-bodied person mm. that has to be part of that team. Mm-hmm. No, normally, there isn't an, an, an extra yeah. person, yeah. but because of visual impairment or blindness, yeah. you can't go and be on a bicycle. Right, right. <laughs> so you have to have that. So it's sure. really interesting. So you pick your pilots well, yeah. um, and it's sort of given me more of a purpose because I'm there for her. This is her journey. Yeah. But very fascinating thing that I found, and this is sort of goes back, and it's sort of an overall, the um, inspiration, mm. is um, I had three main goals when I was a junior. And I didn't know, I had another bike racing coach also named Doreen Williams. And um, she had me do these three by five vision cards. Sure. She didn't know that's what they were called. She just yeah. said, write your goals down. And, and I like drawing things. So sure. I, my, I had my one goal, which was a national championship jersey or red, yeah. white, and blue. And, yeah. and I want, and I got 15 of those. Well, I got 13 of those as a junior. So I accomplished getting that one. I'd say so. My other card had a world on it because I wanted to win a world championship. And my idea was something velodrome or, or downhill mountain bike racing or something. I ended up with a second, a third, a fourth, and a twelfth at world championships. So I never got that first. Got that first. And then I quit racing. Yeah. And ironically, I get my world record, mm. not world championship, world record. Yeah. And so sometimes things don't work out exactly yeah. as you want. My third vision card that I had was the 1992 Olympics. So it was the mm. Olympic rings. Yeah. You know, you quit racing, you're out. You yeah. know, I'm like, okay, that's that's never going to happen, that. right? Yeah. And I really didn't think about it until when Amy had asked me for this commitment. And it took me a few weeks because I knew if I commit, I'm committed for the whole term. Yeah. I'm committed till 2024 with her. If It's, it's a relationship, yeah. <laughs> a commitment. And so... And she's relying and on you, she, if, absolutely. If you commit. So. If I drop out or decide, eh, don't want to do this, then, you know, she, really... it, she needs to go find a new pilot. And it's a skill set that you need to do a lot of training on the velodrome. You can't just yeah. pick somebody else, else up. So... One of the ideas I was talking to somebody went, oh my gosh, there's my third vision card. There it is. It wouldn't. So the goals we set aren't always coming out the exact way that we would want them to be. Right. But it's amazing when you open your eyes and look back at your goals, just how much you've accomplished because those Olympic rings may still come true. Yeah. But in a very, very different way. You know, how, you know, gosh, 32 years after, mm-hmm. I can't do math that quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's 2024 from 1992? But anyways, yeah, yeah. so it's 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 going to be quite amazing. So that was another one of those, you know what, you just, you, if I say no, I'll regret it. And I yeah. just, I always want to take the opportunity. Well, that's quite a journey. So in 2024, is it in the summer of 2024? Yes. Yeah. So summer, Paris. <laughs> summer of 2024, we watching you in Paris achieve your Olympic dream, hopefully with the gold medal coming home with the for Amy and yourself. Yes. That's very exciting. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come down and share your fun, thank interesting, you. crazy story. Again, I can't stress enough how you guys should watch the video because it is... It is a little bit crazy. Denise is definitely a, a, a daredevil, as she pointed out already. <laughs> thank you for taking the time. Oh, thank you. Thanks for joining us on our Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please hit the follow button on wherever you get your audio. And please tell a friend. 
We would love to hear your feedback, which you can share at carlsbadpodcast.com. You can leave us a review, ask a question, or leave an audio comment, which we can play on the show in the future. And that's all we have for today. Can't wait to see you next time on Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact. And remember, share some kindness today. It's free, creates goodwill, and makes you feel great.